Welcome to The Scoop. I'm Dinah Jansen. On November 12th, 2020, the AMS Assembly at Queen's University ratified 39 new and returning AMS clubs and approved the existence of two new faculty societies at their November 12th virtual meeting. Olivia Stanton, Commissioner of Clubs, spoke to the motion to approve ratification of the clubs, explaining there was a roughly 50-50 split between new clubs seeking ratification and clubs that were not ratified last year, returning this year to seek and secure ratification. Stanton noted she hoped the clubs would be ratified so the students could have wonderful expanded club opportunities. 39 new and returning clubs were ratified. Secretary of Internal Affairs Carolyn Hart added a motion to approve the existence of the Health Sciences Society as well as the Dan School Undergraduate Society. The AMS Assembly approved both new faculty societies on November 12th. Further in the AMS Assembly meeting on November 12th, there was discussion about moving to slateless AMS elections. During question period, AMS Board of Directors Chair Jordan Nancy highlighted Red Sox plans to run executive elections without slates. According to Red Sox President Oliver Fleece and their Assembly report, slateless elections have yet to be ratified by the Resident Society General Assembly, but the intention is to remove barriers for qualified candidates to run for office and allow candidates to run for their desired roles individually. Nancy had inquired at the AMS Assembly whether the AMS was considering allowing for slateless elections to its executive. Chief Electoral Officer Laura Devaney stated that at this time the AMS is not considering splitting up the slate, but that it could be a matter of discussion in the future. She did note that the AMS is considering different approaches to elections since the last several AMS executive elections have been uncontested. However, it is not possible to implement new methods in practice when only one team has run for office each year for the last several years. Also at AMS Assembly, USA and QSET delegations made presentations. Representatives from USA, the Ontario Undergraduate Student Alliance, of which the AMS is a member, spoke about the organization and discussed its positions, policies, and priorities related to accessibility, affordability, accountability, and quality of undergraduate education in Ontario. Further, Rick Stratton and his team from the Queen's Registrar's Office also made a delegation to AMS Assembly to introduce QSET, the Queen's Survey of Students' Experience of Teaching. This new instructor evaluation tool will replace the older USAT system used at Queen's University that students normally fill out at the culmination of their courses to evaluate instructors. Stratton explained that the new tool emphasizes student experience and allows more opportunity for students to self-reflect, look at the course more largely, and have input into logistics and technology used in the course as well. For a list of ratified clubs and reports by the AMS Assembly, visit the AMS website or the link on this news story at cfrc.ca. And in community news, the construction on the rail overpass on John Counter Boulevard is complete and the stretch between Princess Street and Sir John A. Macdonald Boulevard reopened on November 13th. It marked a major milestone for the John Counter Boulevard expansion project, which will fully conclude by early 2021 after more than a decade of engineering work and five phases of construction. The overpass completes the widening of John Counter Boulevard to four lanes from Princess to Division and improves transportation along the arterial route by eliminating delays caused by trains while enhancing options for active transportation in the area. 
And in other news, the Kingston Frontenac Public Library is launching In It to Win, a virtual tutoring and homework drop-in program developed in collaboration with Kingston and Frontenac teens in order to support Kingston and Frontenac tweens and teens. This program will launch on November 18th, and every Wednesday from 3.30 to 5 p.m., upper-year secondary student volunteers will provide online tutoring to grades 7 and 8 students, as well as older teens requiring special academic support. Under the supervision of a KFPL programmer, volunteer tutors will work one-on-one or with small subject groups to mentor and motivate emerging learners in various subjects. Whether a student needs support in English, French, math, science, or history, In It to Win will help them. Graham Langdon, the KFPL teen and new adult librarian, said this youth-led initiative establishes a welcoming virtual space for Kingston and Frontenac youth who are struggling to succeed during the pandemic. Through In It to Win, teens and tweens receive free and friendly academic support from their fellow students. This program will take place over the library's Zoom account, and participants must register online and will need to have access to an internet-enabled computer with a webcam and microphone. Those interested in participating in In It to Win as a student can register online through the library's programs and events calendar at www.kfpl.ca. Still in other community news, in celebration of the upcoming holiday season and as a way to generate awareness and funds for the popular Cataraqui Trail, the Friends of the Cataraqui Trail are organizing and hosting the first ever Rudolph Run and Walk. Folks can gather their family and friends who are in their COVID bubble and register for a fun day out in nature on the picturesque Cataraqui Trail. The fundraising run walk will take place on Saturday, November 21st, 2020, and participants can choose from 2km and 5km options or participate just by raising funds. There will be four start-finish sites along the Cataraqui Trail itself for participants to register under teams. There's a Napanee team, Kingston team, Sydney team, and Port. Portland team. The run walk will feature staggered start times of 10, 11, and 12, and with no more than 20 participants per time slot to allow for physical distancing. Registration is required, and each registrant must be at least 18 years of age, although members of their group, family, or bubble can be of any age. The registration is $35 per group, and each member will receive a fun Rudolph-inspired face mask. Once registered, participants can raise funds from their team via the online donation page at www.crca.ca slash Rudolph Run. The participant who raises the most from each team, that is Napanee, Kingston, Sydenham, or Portland, will win a Cataraqui Conservation Annual Pass that will give them entry to Little Cataraqui Creek Conservation Area for one year. And in other community news, the YMCA of Eastern Ontario and the City of Kingston have partnered together to offer YMCA access to membership holders of Artillery Park Aquatic Centre to the end of 2020. Rob Adams, the CEO of YMCA of Eastern Ontario, stated that as a charity that supports vulnerable members of the community, the YMCA is very supportive of how the city has repurposed Artillery Park and are happy to assist them in this transition. Adams further noted that partnerships are effective in addressing the evolving needs of our community and the Y has been active in offering their assistance and collaborating with other organizations throughout. City members of Artillery Park are asked that when going to the Kingston YMCA at 100 Wright Crescent, they must have confirmed their participation and completed the associated documents and should bring their city membership card along with a piece of photo ID. 
And thanks for tuning in to CFRC's The Scoop for news highlights of the last week. And don't forget to donate to CFRC's funding drive through cfrc.ca slash donate now. We appreciate your support. November is Make a Will Month. Have you been putting off writing your will? Are you considering drawing up a power of attorney for yourself or for a parent? Does the thought of estate planning make you anxious? Then plan to attend one of our three free online KFPL live talks offered with the help of the Ontario Bar Association. Area estate lawyers will explain over Zoom why advanced planning is so advisable and what common pitfalls to avoid when preparing your will. Power of attorney issues and the roles and responsibilities of executors and attorneys for property and personal care will be discussed. You will be able to ask questions, but no legal advice will be provided. We will be offering this presentation three times, at 2 p.m. on Thursday, November 19th, 2 p.m. on Friday, November 20th, and at 7 p.m. on Monday, November 23rd. As all three online presentations will be the same, please plan to attend just one. Each is free to adults. To avoid disappointment, please register in advance online at calendar.kfpl.ca or by phone at 613-549-8888. A Zoom link and password will be shared with registrants by email the day of each presentation. November 11, 2020, the Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce has released a statement expressing their approval of the Ontario 2020 budget, specifically highlighting some small business tax changes. The Chamber is pleased with the budget and its timely supports and reliefs for small businesses, said Chamber CEO Karen Cross. In particular, the programs designed to reduce taxes and utility bills are greatly appreciated. The budget released by Finance Minister Rod Phillips on Thursday, November 5, 2020 offers municipalities the flexibility to target property tax relief to small businesses. But Kingston's Mayor Brian Patterson said that more details are needed to determine how much flexibility is truly there. The Mayor has a couple of concerns. Besides a provincial business property tax rate reduction, the Chamber highlighted a budget measure that allows municipalities to cut property tax for small businesses. The province said it will also consider matching those reductions. This would provide small businesses as much as $385 million in total municipal and provincial property tax relief by 2022 to 23, depending on municipal adoption, the budget notes. I think certainly we'd be looking to get more details and more information about what exactly the policy looks like, what the finer details are, Patterson said. But there are a couple of concerns that I do have at first glance. If we reduce taxes for one class, then it shifts the tax burden onto everyone else, he said. So I would be very concerned about a tool that would require raising taxes on residents or on other groups in the community given the financial challenges that are being raised across the board. The other concern is that a lot of what I have heard from small business owners is the importance of direct assistance. Property tax is something that goes to the landlord and not to the tenant, he noted. Many of our small business owners are tenants. One thing that we've heard and that we've been exploring here are ways to target direct assistance to business owners rather than to landlords, he said. Patterson added that it all comes back to a key issue that municipalities face, the need to balance their own budget. We can't borrow money to fund a reduction in taxes. We have to balance our budget, he said. 
So if you reduce taxes for certain taxpayers, you have to raise them for others. Still, the mayor is not dismissing the policy altogether and said he'd need to learn more. A portion of property taxes go to the province to fund education, he said. If the property tax reduction hypothetically came from the provincial education allocation and was then repaid to school boards from some other source, that might subvert any impact on municipal taxes. It's something that our staff would have to look at, and then it would come to council for further deliberation and discussion, he said. Broadband promises welcomed. Both Cross and Patterson welcomed the province's promise to expand broadband in the province. The provincial government has included broadband among key infrastructure investments in line with more traditional physical connectors such as public transit, highways, roads, and bridges. The province plans to spend $143 billion over 10 years in this sector. Certainly the investment in broadband, I think, is critical, Patterson said. That's really, co- that's really become a key area of focus, particularly for us. Internet connections are not up to standard in some areas, and it's gone far beyond the point of being a luxury. Both the mayor and the chamber said they are continuing to look for ways to support businesses in the sectors of the economy hit hard by the pandemic. Small businesses are a key lifeline in our community as they create jobs, keep local money, and support local charitable causes, Cross said. In the coming weeks, weeks, we will be working to ensure our members are aware of these reliefs, as well as the relevant federal programs, and encouraging our members to partner with us to ensure policymakers know what other supports are needed. This story was brought by Samantha Butler Hassan of the Kingstonist for the Local Journalism Initiative. Wolf Island Ferry Passengers, please be advised, Starting Monday, November 16, 2020, the Kingston Terminal building will be open to accommodate 13 passengers at a time. We ask that passengers follow the measures below to ensure the terminal building remains open in a safe manner. Face coverings are to be worn at all times inside the terminal building. Please ensure a 2-meter distance from other passengers and staff, excluding members of immediate family living at the same address. Four benches have been provided along with a standing-only area. Please yield seating to those in need. The terminal building will be open from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. Please use the front door of the terminal. Hand sanitizer is mandatory to use upon entering the building and is available at the door. Enhanced cleaning will continue in the terminal building. The trailer at Dawson Point dock will be available for use Monday, November 16, 2020, with the maximum capacity of four passengers. The following measures apply to the trailer. Face coverings to be worn all times inside the trailer. The trailer is open 24-7. Please ensure a two-meter distance from the passenger and staff, excluding members of immediate family living at the same address. Enhanced cleaning will be undertaken at a minimum of twice a daily. Portable toilets continue to be available. We thank you for your patience. Alex Westendorp, Communication Service Coordinator. Despite the lower number of local COVID-19 cases compared to the spring, the need in our communities remain great. Lionheart's Inc. is serving over 800 meals a day, recently passing 143,000 meals served. Lionheart's will continue its program through the winter months. Recently, Stages Nightclub, a longtime Lionheart supporter, has provided indoor space for six months starting Saturday, November 14th. 
Students from the Cook's Internship Focus Program at LCVI have recently been helping with food prep, minimizing the burden on Lionheart's volunteer chefs and allowing the team to serve more meals. November 11, 2020. Those relying on Lionheart's Inc. for meals will continue to get the support they need this winter. Thanks to the partnership with longtime Lionheart supporter Stages Nightclub, Lionheart has secured an indoor location for its COVID-19 street project from November through to April. Kingston City Council voted unanimously on November 3rd to give 39000 to Lionheart's in order to cover Stages' additional utility and insurance costs for the coming months. We're so grateful for the city's support and the community support on behalf of those who need it the most, said Travis Blackmore, Executive Director, Lionhearts, Inc. While COVID-19 has been and continues to be difficult for everyone, projects like ours demonstrate how crisis situation brings out the best in all of us. We sincerely thank all the donors and volunteers who have been a lifeline for thousands across our community. A notice will go out soon in Lionheart's meal kits with the new location and the official start date, Saturday, November 14th, for services at stages. This latest gesture of support comes as Lionheart's and the Hub Group mark eight years of partnership, which first began when stages provided space and spare winter clothing in Lionheart's for its program. In a few short days, Lionheart's Inc. Street Project will serve its 150,000 meal and mark its eighth month anniversary. Each day, hundreds of people are still finding some of their daily needs met through the Lionheart's COVID-19 Street Project, which currently provides fresh meal kits and hygiene supplies at one of three locations in Kingston and Amherstview. Recently, a new partnership with the Laurelist Collegiate and Vocational Institute, LCVI's Cooks Internship Program has helped reduce the burden on Lionheart's volunteer chefs and allowed the team to serve more meals. High school students have been completing food prep to help the chefs for the past four weeks. And in the process, they have learned about food processing, mass production, and how to ensure food safety when preparing food on the large scale. The Lancer CAF at LCVI has provided countless specialist high-skill major experiential learning opportunities for students over the years, says Ian Montgomery, the hospitality teacher and head chef at LCVI. When we learned that our cafeteria would not open due to the pandemic, we wanted to find a project that would help keep the energetic vibe of our kitchen and still provide a unique experience for students. The partnership of Lionheart's has been an amazing experience for the culinary students. We hope to continue the support Lionheart's and develop our hospitality program through community projects like this in the future. The students and the instructor at LCBI have become an indispensable part of our kitchen. Lionheart's executive chef and owner of the Otter Creek Catering and Food Truck. We would not have been able to meet the increased demand for meals in October without the help. One of the big jobs they did for us was to roast and prepare large portions of our Thanksgiving dinner. 
It was an incredible joy to see such beautiful meals created for our program guests. Funds are still urgently needed to help those struggling during COVID-19. For more information on the street project, please visit lionhearts.ca slash COVID-19 street project. About Lionhearts Inc., lionhearts.ca slash donate now. Driven by a deep desire to see all people living with human dignity, we at Lionhearts Inc. have been uniting people with practical acts of love since our founding in Kingston in 2014. Our cornerstone of our operation is to collect large donations for food from very generous businesses. We then deliver manageable quantities regularly to reinforce frontlines organizations who are already doing amazing work in our communities. Poverty knows no social boundaries. Our organization serves every demographic, including seniors, citizens, families, single parents, children, and people living with mental illness. We simply connect those who want to help with those who already know how to do it. We also host the Embassy Live Music Cafe, a space that provides diplomatic immunity from your worries and troubles for the night. We provide an intimate stage for live music and create community for every guest. We are a registered charity and donations may be made via our website or through Canada's help. everyone. Welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Nida Jansen, and I am in person today with Ms. Era McCauley of Kingston Writers Fest. Hello, Era McCauley. Good morning, Dinah. Thank you for joining us in this really awesome space (laughs) and being on our airwaves. So for folks that aren't in the know, Kingston's Uh, Kingston Writers Fest has a new artistic director, and that is Era McCauley. Congratulations on your new role. Thank you very much. Okay, so Era, tell us about the work uh, and your time at uh, Kingston Writers Fest so far. Um, So I have worked with the festival since 2014. I started off uh, volunteering and then working in the box office and then as a part-time assistant. And that job has snowballed over the years, um, became a full-time job in 2015. And I was the operations manager for the last few years. And um, now I'm very excited and honored to be moving into this new role uh, in December. Okay, so it is a new role. What are you going to be doing that's a little bit different? Are you, what's the learning curve looking like? Um, I mean, I'm very grateful in that I've worked closely with the, art, the artistic director, Barbara Bell, since I started working at the festival. Um, she has been mentoring me for the last couple of years, and we knew that this uh, transition was going to be taking place. Um, so I've had the opportunity to sit in on a lot of the work that she's been doing and get a good sense of the overall structure of the festival, um, the philosophy and things like that. So it will be very different. Um, I'm moving out of the kind of moving from out behind the curtain, um, away from spreadsheets and more into the programming sides of side of things. So it's a more creative and artistic role, um, which I'm quite excited about, uh, exploring. 
Okay, so I like how you touched on some of the creativity and, and the artistic stuff. So um, tell us maybe, can you give us a hint on some of the projects you might be looking at for Kingston Writers Fest this coming year? Well, this will be an interesting year. I mean, there's still a lot that's uh, up in the air, but we absolutely want to present a festival regardless of what structure that takes. Um, we have a good uh, baseline of the kind of programming that we know that our audience loves, um, and we certainly want to cater to that and honor that. Um, but we also want to explore new territory as well. I think one of the advantages of online programming is that it allows us to bring in authors from uh, further afield than we otherwise would be able to afford to do um, and to offer maybe more experimental programming. Um, I'd, I'd like to play with the idea of having some evening programs that uh, get into the kinds of books that you might not necessarily see on the feature shelf at Chapters or Indigo or something like that. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds very intriguing and exciting. Makes us all want to go read books, too. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So it sounds like uh, there are some really exciting opportunities for Kingston Writers Fest coming up in the next year, and perhaps maybe uh, some things uh, that you'll be doing that are have drawn upon some of the learning from programming for Kingston Writers Fest this past year, uh, which, of course, had to make some significant changes due to the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Can you expand? Yeah, so this year um, we made the decision very early on to switch to an online format. We didn't know what size the festival would take, and originally I think we were a lot more conservative than what we ended up with. So we did do uh, 23 online events, and it ended up being a very heartening experience for us because it proved to us that people were willing to tune into these events um, to support the festival in this way. Um, and so it ended up being kind of a forced science experiment um, and and really gave us an idea of, of what is possible in a more digital realm. Um, and it also uh, allowed us to record the events and disseminate them on YouTube later, which is really wonderful too, because it uh, gives the artists that added exposure. And in a time when they're not getting the opportunity to meet with people in person, any chance they have to promote their books is, is wonderful, and we're glad to be able to offer that. That is fantastic. So now, with Kingston Writers Fest having gone online this year and the festival itself, the main festival is now finished, what kinds of programming might uh, Kingston Writers Fest be up to until the next festival? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we did a couple of fundraisers uh, over the summer. We also did a lot of pre-festival programming. So um, in addition to the festival itself, we did a bi-weekly series of events. Um, we are partnering right now with uh, festivals from across the country for um, a program called One Page. And that's happening every second Thursday. And so that is a free online series of uh, events featuring big name authors. Um, like we had Barbara Kingsolver, Ann Enright, Tommy Orange. And that um, started as an experiment that was going to go potentially January, February. So we're looking at expanding that partnership 
uh, further into next year. We're partnering with Queen's Reads again in March. Um, and there's always opportunities for uh, book launches and virtual dinners. So yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities um, and we're hoping to, to capitalize on those. Okay, well, this sounds all very, very exciting and uh, lots of great stuff happening even before the next festival. So how do people learn more about Kingston Writers Fest? Um, the easiest thing to do is visit our website, which is kingstonwritersfest.ca. We also have a Facebook page that lists all of our events. And if you want to get a taste of the festival that was, uh, you can visit our Kingston Writers Fest YouTube channel. And uh, all of our onstage events are available there to watch free of charge. Fantastic. All right. So before we close off this spot with you, what are you reading right now? <laughs> oh, I always have so much on the go. Um Right now, I am reading a uh, strange um, Norwegian short story collection called Codex 1964. <laughs> okay. um, just, uh, I tend to like the the bizarre and the uh, the experimental, so that's sort of what I've been exploring. And then looking at uh, cookbooks, I don't know, as we get into the cooler weather. So uh, Joe Beef's Apocalypse, Apocalypse uh, cookbook seemed appropriate for the current situation so I've been browsing that as well all right so hot tip hot take on the worst book you've ever read <laughs> oh goodness um yeah that's uh that's one thing I've learned with the festival in, in programming is uh you learn not to be precious about putting down a book that you just can't handle but Oh, I don't know if I could pick just one. There are just sometimes it's it's usually when it's just clumsy and and heavy-handed and when the uh the analogies are just cringe-worthy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't I don't think I could come up with a title unfortunately right off. Okay, so I think she's being secretive for a reason. <laughs> No, we, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Era, thank you very much for joining us here on CFRC and The Scoop and talking about your new role at Kingston Writers Fest. Again, congratulations. Hearty, hearty congratulations. And we look forward to hearing more about uh, Kingston Writers Fest programming in the coming year. Thank you very much, Dinah. It's been a pleasure and good to see you in actual person. Yay! <laughs>